Hello, church family. Today we're going to look at Acts chapter 13, uh, verse 13 to 43. It's a little bit of a longer section here, um, but I think it's cool whenever we're just kind of walking through the text that um, some of the narrative in particular sometimes get to take larger chunks because it's a, there's a flow to it. And um, this is what we kind of go, um, just to kind of bring us up to speed, uh, this part of the chapter, this part of the whole book of Acts, really, starting from chapter 13, really begins, um, the, the focus is really on Paul's ministry uh, to the world. Um, there was the Jews, there was Peter, in the first half of this book, and he was really used to, to minister to the Jew, Jewish Christians and, you know, Jew, and try to warn people, Jewish people, to come or to the faith in Jesus Christ. Now the attention is shift from Paul, and then the focus in terms of his ministry is to Gentiles. And uh, you remember the last episode we talked about how um, uh, Paul uh, was really uh, speaking to people that were uh, you know, dwelling with the supernatural, and the result of that is that they became blind, or this one person in particular became blind. And Paul. Uh, uh, and because of that, many people believe that Paul is the tr- is is teaching what well, he's teaching, and the God that he worship is the one true God. So, uh, as we continue on this narrative, the focus again is on how Paul is being used by the Lord to win people, whether it be Jews or Gentiles. Sometimes he's went, you see him ministering to Gentile people, other times he's ministering to people that are Jewish. But in any case, um, he is a fighter for the Lord. He is a he proclaims God's word faithfully and um, a lesson for us to see is that we want to have this kind of boldness and zeal as well but how he does it though is similar to what we've seen before is that he's someone that understands and knows the scripture and often time the case is that the more you know about scripture the more convincing you are Um, even the way the lord uses you uh, very rarely will you see someone that goes into true biblical christianity with, with the teacher or mentor or pastor that doesn't teach the bible uh, there's at least some, even if it's like a, um, a, a shallow Christianity, there might be something that the Lord will use in those messages. But uh, you know, the more you can, draw, people can uh, hear your message there or your presentation of Scripture from the Scripture, uh, the more that the Lord will convince them uh, using His Word in a way that is it's supernatural, something that we may not fully understand. So let's look through that in uh, here from chapter 13, verse 13. Now Paul and his companion put out to sea from Paphos and came to Perga in Pamphylia, but John left them and returned to Jerusalem. So there's something interesting here that John has abandoned them, whether it's because of, it doesn't seem like as a doctrinal issue, but it does seem like um, it could be a fear or it could be just a preference, whatever it may be. There was some sort of philosophical difference between the two, and the result is that uh, John, or John Mark here, has, uh, has le- uh, abandoned them and leaves them. Uh, well, we'll talk more about that when we get to um, Acts chapter 15. Uh, but just understand that even in this moment where there is disunity, we see how God is sovereignly going to use um, even these um, sinful moments for His glory. And we'll get into that when we get to chapter 15. Uh, but just have that in the back of your mind, knowing that John Mark has left them, and uh, Paul is is kind of like on his own in a lot of ways. Well, he's with other people, but uh, he, he wanted to be with uh, John Mark because Barnabas was the one that kind of was the one who introduced him and brought them together. But there's a division here, but God, the, the ministry still continues on. 
verse 14, but going from Perga, uh, they arrived to Pisidian Antioch, and on the Sabbath day they went into the synagogue and sat down. Again, this is a this is a strategic reason, as usually was normal for people at the time to go into the Sabbath or into the synagogue to have these theological uh, debates. Uh, so it kind of gives them a natural opportunity, and, and, and it just looks normal for people to just sit around to talk about theo theological things. And that's what Paul was doing. He went there, he sat down, and he's doing his best to try to win people, especially particularly here in his uh, Jewish people, um, he's trying to win them to Christ. Verse 16, after reading the law of, uh, uh, reading of the law and the prophets, the synagogue officials sent to them, saying, Brethren, if you have any word of extortion for people, to s for people say it. And Paul stood up motioning with his hand, and uh, motioning with his hand said, Men of Israel, you who fear God, listen. So again, this is a very unique opportunity. He was given to them. He was just there. He was present. And the reason why he was able to share the gospel is because he was just, the opportunity came to him. And you'll see this in our own life as well. Um, you can't win people to Christ if you're not in the life of people. Um, if you have non-believing friends, make yourself known to them. Um, you don't have to uh, share the gospel right away, um, but just at least make yourself known so that they can, you can slowly uh, develop a relationship and you know, pray to the Lord that God will give you those opportunities. Uh, be, be wise and be aware of your surroundings. Um, try your best to pray for those and, and just know that the Lord will sovereignly give you the opportunity to speak uh, truth into them. Uh, there's a book that came out a few years ago called The Gospel Comes with a Key. And the, um, the author of that, Rosera Butterfield, speaks about how she came to know the same faith. She was this lesbian professor, and she just kept going into the home of this pastor. I think she was just doing some investigative reporting, just, just cur out of curiosity. And it spent years of her seeing this pastor just faithfully living out Christianity that drew her ultimately to Jesus. And in her testimony, she says that this pastor didn't try to uh, jam Christian down her throat. You just try to get to know her, uh, and, and the Lord just provided that opportunity for uh, for him to speak, and he did. And the Lord worked in uh, her heart through this pastor, and he she eventually get saved. And you know, she repented of her ways. Now she's this, you know, um, she's married, and I think she's I don't know if she's a pastor's wife, but she's you know she's married and faithfully serving the Lord. That's what we need to be. We need to seek and wait for those opportunities at the same time. We need to seek in terms of try and develop a relationship with people and we need to wait for the opportunity to come so that we can go and speak the truth into the lives of people. Verse 17, the God of, of this people, Israel, chose our father and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt and with an uplifted arm he led them out of it. So this is something that Jews love to hear. They love hearing the fact that the God chose them, the God uh, uh, delivered them, and you know the, 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 the underdog won. It's kind of the things that they like to hear. Uh, and, and Paul's doing this to not really butter them up, but really to explain to them that this is God's sovereign plan in, in saving them, in, in choosing them as a people, uh, that they were special, because not because of anything that they've done, but because of God's grace in their life, that God chose them. He, and, and, you know, this is this kind of, I'm, I'm sure it perked up the ears of the Jews that are listening. And he continued for verse 24, for a period of about 40 years he put up with them in the wilderness. So God, um, you know, tolerating them. This is a the word put up, it can mean either tolerate, meaning, you know, I, I can put up with your stupid stupidity, that kind of idea, like you just have resilience to them. Or the word put up could mean to, to take care. And I hold to the second view, that it's more like the, God, the Lord took care of them in the wilderness, even though they were rebellious 
and, and grumbling and complaining to the Lord. But the Lord put up with them, that he, he took care of them for all this time. Verse 19, when he had destroyed seven nations in the land of Canaan, he distributed their lands in an inheritance, all of which took about 450 years. So this is um, you know, God showing his faithfulness, that all of this is uh, 450 years after God made the promise, everything came about. Maybe somewhere down the line I'll, I'll, I'll teach through the book of Joshua, but this again, you see how God is working through history. He chose this particular group of people, he sent them into a particular land, and then and they uh, were able to get this land. And this, these were all part of God's promise to the people. After these things, he gave them judges until Samuel the prophet. So this is, you know, going from Joshua to the book of Judges to the book of First Samuel, all that. Then they, then they asked for a king, and God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. Now, it is interesting to note that this is at the same line that Paul is from. So he's actually speaking of his own ancestry here. That there, that his you know great, 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 great grandfather was the was essentially one of the first kings of Israel. So he's speaking history to them, and they understand that God used even human desire for His glory. That they wanted a king, and God told them that I will be their king. But they wanted a human king, and there was even contingency plan that if they were to choose a king, that there's regulations for that. But they wanted a king that was like the world, and God gave them what they wished for, which is a king that did not truly love them, but really um, it was just someone that the, the Israelites just chose because they felt that was the, that's what they wanted. They wanted to look like the world. Verse 22, after he, God, had removed him, Saul, he raised up David to be their king, concerning whom he also testified and said, have found, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do all my will. Now, this is, you know, God... Uh, use, uh, God runs history. He's using. He's saying that okay. After da Saul came, David was there, and David was known as a man that was after his God's own heart. Now we know that that's not that. That doesn't mean that you have, you have you're perfect. It's just that, in relatively speaking, uh, David was a king that, that sought to honor Lord in the best way he can, and obviously he has failed multiple times. But yet, in his repentance and his devotion and his affections for the Lord, these were. It, it, he surpassed even uh, he surpassed others uh, in his peers, um, but he was known by that, and God made a covenant with him. Um, verse twenty-three: From the descendants of this man, according to the promise God has brought to Israel, a savior, Jesus. Now, this is where, if you were a Jewish person hearing this, you would agree and agree and agree. And you like, what is the point of why? Why is Paul talking about all of this? Is when he gets to this point where he said, like, um, like God brought a savior, Jesus. That's where it became. Con um, controversial for them because they're saying that you know Paul saying that Jesus is the culmination of history whereas the Jewish people at the time saw Jesus as just this uh, almost like the anti Yahweh like he's such some he's a guy just drawing people away from to another faith but Paul is arguing from the scripture that everything is pointing to Jesus that Jesus is the culmination of all of history and we see that if, if you're in our Sunday school class in adult 2 right now we're going through the book of Revelation, everything ends with Jesus. Jesus is the central focus in terms of destroying the world and redeeming the world and reigning on the earth. Everything points to what God is doing. Verse 23, from the descendants of this, of this man, according to the promise God has brought to Israel a savior after John had proclaimed before him, coming about, uh, before his coming of baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. Now, uh, this idea of baptism and John the John the Baptist baptism, it's it's a way of kind of preparing people 
for the Savior. It's preparing people beforehand that the Savior is coming. This is all part of the, in the you know in the Gospels, of the, how Jesus had to become, had to get baptized, and this is this is his way of identifying with humanity. That's why John the Baptist felt like he wasn't worthy. Verse um, twenty-five. And while John was completing his course, he kept saying, "What do you suppose that I am? I am not he, but behold, one is coming after me, whose sandals of, he, of whose feet I am not worthy to untie." Brethren, sons of Abraham, family, and those who um, th those among you who fear God, to to us the message of the salvation has been sent. Those who live in Jerusalem and their rules, recognizing neither him nor the utterance of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled these by condemning him. So, again, here's this connection that Paul is trying to make. He's trying to connect Scripture to the person. And again, when you're sharing the gospel, it can't be as abstract. It can't be just concepts. It has. You're you're going to have to try to figure out a way to communicate that word that impacts their life today. And I think one of the most effective ways that I have seen is to make it relevant to them. And well, one of the best ways is to tell them that everybody dies. I think they even. Even the most scientific type person will have to concede to the reality that everybody dies. And so that's how the gospel is often used. You make it relevant to them. You make them see how, uh, why they need to respond. It's not just head knowledge. Head knowledge just does not save people. Paul had head knowledge, but it didn't save him. It was only when he had, when the Lord changed his whole life and that he lived for, that's how, um, you know, that's where things were different. Um, uh, he had changed life because of new birth. Life was different. It needs to have a practical grounding in your life. And that's how we need to teach when we're sharing the gospel or, t or telling people that it's supposed to uh, point them to their everyday life. You're trying to bridge the gap for them in a lot of ways. Uh, verse, um, verse 28, And though they found no ground for putting him to death, they asked Pilate and he be, that he be executed. When they carried out all that was written concerning him, they took him down from the cross and laid him in the tomb. And this is a fulfillment that uh, he was hated without a cause, as Isaiah 53. And yet, at the same time, none of his bones were broken. Uh, he was taken down. That means that these soldiers really saw him dead. He was, they, you know, they, they, they had to take the body down. So they were up close. They, and these soldiers were, you know, or, or they, they're just uh, known. They know what death looks like, you know, because they're professional killers. They, know, they understand um, when it comes to, like, let's say, like sports in combat sports and nowadays, a referee is trained to know when a fighter is knocked out. When there's a fight, uh, um, when you, uh, they know, okay, this fight is over. When there's certain cues that they see, or a person's stiffening up their whole body, or their, you know, their whole body falls over, they know the fight is over. And, you know, why? It's because he's trained to see certain cues. Same thing with these Roman soldiers. They, they, they know what death looks like, and when they saw Jesus, when they brought his body down, they knew this guy was dead and that he was executed. Uh, verse uh, 29, And when they had carried out all that was written concerning him, they took him down from the cross and laid him in a tomb. Again, this is part of the end of the gospel, that he died a physical death. And then verse 30, But God raised him from the dead. And this is a, So he had a bodily resurrection here. And for many days he appeared to those who came up from him, from Galilee to Jerusalem, the very ones who are now his witnesses to the people. Now he's just showing the reality of the gospel. Paul's bringing into the past, like, okay, now this event did not happen that long ago. It's like maybe at best, like, probably, actually, no, I guess there's a time jump, but relatively speaking, this did not have, this, this happened 
closer to them than the Old Testament. So they remembered these things. And some of these witnesses are still there sharing the gospel and telling them the same thing that Paul is teaching them. Verse 32, And we preach to you the good news of the promise made to the fathers, that God has fulfilled this promise to our children, and that he raised up Jesus, as it is also written in the second psalm, You are my son, today I have begotten you. Now I thought that what's interesting about this is that he makes this reference here to the second psalm. So of all the 150 psalms are not divinely, it's not ordered, you know, the order of the psalms are not uh, divinely inspired by the Holy Spirit, but at least the second psalm has to be there. And you see this in Psalm, in psalm chapter 2, verse 7, that you are my son, today I have begotten you. This again shows the eternality of Christ, and it goes back to the Old Testament, how Jesus is the promised Messiah, the eternal God, just like the Father is. And, um, and Paul's using scripture so that they can understand it. Verse 34, as for the fact that he raised him up from the dead no longer to return to decay. He has spoken in this way, I will give you the holy, give you the holy and sure blessings of David. Therefore, he also says to, in another psalm, you will not allow your holy one to, to undergo decay. For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and laid among his fathers and underwent decay. And, but he whom God raised did not undergo decay. So it's interesting, you notice that there's this contrast between how all the promises of David is was he wasn't speaking to David directly. He he made the promise to him in his line, but that didn't mean that prom mean did not mean that David was going to live forever. In fact, they said that David went to his cave, went went to was buried a lot, was buried, and his body went through decay. But Jesus did not. There's contrast here between David's body decaying and Jesus' body did not going to go through decay. Again, it's it's designed so that people can know that Jesus is has indeed risen from the dead and he's ascended. And that the, what Paul is saying is connected, is, is not new to the Jewish people. They should know this if they truly know their, their scriptures. And I wonder if this is you. If When you think about your own understanding of scripture, do you know what the Bible says is true? And do you trust in the promises of God that he's established? Just like how the Old Testament saints are looking to God's promises, we are looking through the same thing too. We anticipate how the Lord will work through redemptive history and how he will... Uh, uh, basically everything will culminate under him and his rule. But we believe that. Part of Christianity and what makes a true Christian is do you believe in the facts of the scripture that is revealed? There are things that are complicated or hard to understand, but do you at least understand the reality that God is working through history sovereignly and providentially and there's nothing that you and I can do about it. The only thing that we can do is just continue to trust in his promises. That we continue to trust in him that everything that he said and that is revealed in scripture will come to pass. Verses 38, Therefore let it be known to you, brethren, that though through him forgiveness of sin is proclaimed to you, and through him everyone who believes is free from all things from which you cannot be freed through the law of Moses. And here Paul is trying to argue that um, the only way salvation is faith. It has nothing to do with what they have to do. The law really just showed them that they are in sin, that they need a Savior. But the only way for them to be fully saved and free from sin is through Jesus Christ. It is by faith alone, not by works. Verse 40, Therefore take heed so that the things of spoken the things spoken of in the prophets may not come upon you. Behold, you scoffers, and, mar and marvel and perish, for I am accomplishing a work in your days, a work which you will never believe, though some should describe it to you. Paul here is making a, a reference to Habakkuk chapter 1, and he's basically showing this is a time when people Israel did not want um, to uh, listen to God. And Paul's warning them to not make that same mistake, to heed the warnings that 
that they hear so that um, they can have salvation. Verse 42, as Paul and Barnabas were going out, the people kept begging these things might be spoken to them the next Sabbath. So this is what usually happens when people hear good teaching is that they want more good teaching. They have a genuine, genuine love uh, to, to know more about the Lord. Verse 43, now then the meeting of synagogues had broken up many of the Jews and of the God-fearing proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, who, who, speaking to them, were urging them to continue in the grace of God. So they were, um, you know, they, some of them understood, and they understood that the reason why they understood is because of God's grace. And we see how God's word is going to draw his people. Uh, the scripture is clear that God's word will not, in, uh, will not return void. And that's why when we, you and I, share the gospel, we should do our best to just show one or two verses from Scripture that here's what the Bible has to say. And the hope is that people will, um, will be moved by the Holy Spirit so that they can come to saving faith. Use God's Word. You're the only real effective weapon you have evangelism. Um, it's not your style. It's not your personality. The only thing that you have that can win people is the Word of God. And that's how Paul shared the gospel, and that's how we need to do it as well. Well, that's it for today. We're going to continue on chapter 13 uh, on our next episode. I hope that this is helpful for you. Take care and have a great day.